Father, we thank you, Father, for this evening. And Lord, even as we are here in your house, we pray, Father, that your spirit would continue to rest over each one of us. Even as I speak, and even as we all hear, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take the words that you have intended that your people and your children have to hear, that you would take those words and preach to our hearts this evening. Preach them to us and give us ears to hear and willingness to obey. Thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Advent season. Christmas is here. And the first message I heard on the Advent was on Monday during the pastor's conference by Pastor James. Uh, it's on the internet. And if you, I would really commend to you, commend that you listen to that message. It's one of the most powerful messages I've heard in a long, long time. In a sense, from, from a Christian, uh, from a Christmas point of view. I've never heard anything like that before. It's on the, on the, on the internet. Uh, it's on the Telugu Sermons Index. You can look it down, look it up, what have you, and listen to it. So, we're just going to continue. Uh, the tradition of the church. Yeah, we may not believe in the traditional view of the church that Christ was born on the 25th of December, but Christ was born. So we will celebrate that fact, albeit uh, we may not agree with the, the 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 date, but we will certainly celebrate the Advent. So today we'll uh, I title my message as "When God Became Man." That's the title of today's message, when God became man. If you look at the Bible and you will see the story of the Advent is interspersed through the gospel, the gospel accounts, particularly the synoptic gospels in gospel according to Mark, uh, not Mark, in the Luke, Luke's account and, uh, and, and the, according to Matthew's account. But if you look at the essence of the incarnation, if you want to see which part of scripture captures the essence of the incarnation. What it meant for God to become man and what does it mean to us and what what does it signify and what are the takeaway points for us. Um, There's one passage in the entire New Testament account which scholars believe is one of the earliest creeds of the apostles. It was a hymn which was sung by the apostles, it's by and large agreed upon by several scholars, and you don't find it in your authorized uh, translations like the KJV or the NKJV or even the ESV, but uh, more modern translations like the New Living Translation, etc., capture uh, that as a hymn. You'll see the way it's printed in your Bible. It's like a paragraph, you know, it's like paragraph. You'll see the font changing all automatically because it's a hymn. And that hymn was cited by Apostle Paul in one of his letters, uh, which captures the essence of the of the incarnation. So the suspense is over. Let me see, look at the passage. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, and we know this passage very well. Let's look at it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 onwards. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a hymn, by the way, from verse 6 onwards, or verse 5 onwards. Who being... In the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. See, whenever you translate poems, 
from an original translation. You can't, you lose the essence, you know. Uh, you can never translate poem in a one particular language into another. You'll get only the essence of it. Therefore, you only have a translation. You don't have that rhyme or rhythm that's there. You don't see the rhythm. But this is what Paul is citing. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. One of the earliest hymns, I mean, rather the only hymns which actually captures the message of the gospel is the, is the, is the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Okay. Christ by highest heaven adored. Stanza number two. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Oh. Wailed in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hug the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. You see. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Another hymn which I love is what condescension bringing us redemption. We sang that song last last Sunday. What condescension bringing us redemption that in the dead of night not one faint hope in sight. God gracious tender laid aside his splendor stooping to woo, to win, to save. My soul, oh, how I love him, <laughs> how I adore him. My breath, my sunshine, my all in all, the great creator became my savior. So I'm telling you, there you hardly find in contemporary music, contemporary carols about the gospel message. Very rare. And I've heard some ridiculous Telugu carol the other day. Sandade, Sandadi, Sandade, Sandadi. It was ridiculous. There was no Sandadi. Nobody knew. Christ was being born. No Sunday at all. It's like a film, film song. You see? It's, it's, a, it's a mystery. That's the reason why Paul will tell to Timothy, he says, great is the mystery of godliness. Great mystery. It's mega mysterion. That's a, that's a Greek word in, 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 uh, in the original. It's a mega mysterion. Great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was made manifest in the flesh. <laughs> Justified by the spirit. I received up into glory. That is First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 for you. But look at this. This is what is the essence of the incarnation. It's been captured. And what does it mean? Oh, uh, uh, Timothy Keller actually preached a sermon called uh, Imitating the Incarnation. It's there on YouTube. Fantastic. And we actually have to imitate. And this is, let this mind be in you. Let's try to capture what is the essence of the incarnation and see how we can apply it into our own lives. What does it mean? Just want to, uh, and, and to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. So let this mind be in you. First observation, think the way God is thinking. That's the first observation. Now let me tell you something. Christianity is a thinking religion. Okay? It is, it, faith is not blind. Faith is reasonable. 
God himself says, come, come, let us what? Reason together. And I'll tell you, the people who are the strongest in the faith are the greatest thinkers, not people who don't think at all. No, 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 no. No. So think the way God is thinking. That is, that is, that is Christianity. Okay, it's a thinking religion. Thinking. Okay. I was telling the Bible study yesterday, I said, think, analyze, think, analyze all the way to heaven. Okay. Don't just be blind, kumpulo govindam kind. Okay. Christianity is thinking religion. So look at Paul himself will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7. Think over what I say. What is it? Think over. The actual word is consider. In other, the, 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 uh, another translation for consider is manthano. To learn. Kata manthano. Consider carefully. Consider carefully what I said. So one of the things that we often have to do every time we hear a message from the pulpit on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, think. You know what the, what Satan does by the time the message is over? The birds of the air have come. It's gone. They've stolen the word that was sown into your hearts and you hardly knew, know what has been, what is pre- preached. Okay, forget about last Sunday. How many of you know what was preached on the Sunday before last? And the Sunday before last? Unless you have thought over those things. See? Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, Christianity is what? Is a thinking religion. Alright, therefore, and that is the essence of repentance by the way. Repentance is to change the way you think. Okay, so when, when you hear the message, think, analyze and change your mind. Okay, the essence of genuine repentance is constantly, is to constantly realign our thinking to the way God thinks. That's the reason why he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, but as the heaven is high over the earth, great are my thoughts and my ways. You can't even reach them. Yes. So, see, I like songs which ask questions. You know, very few songs have questions. There's, a, there's an 18th century or a 19th century hymn on, which we know, I think I'm going, I, I was teaching the uh, children. Um, what child is this? How many of you know that song? What child is this that's laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? The second stanza will say, you know, the first stanza will say, this is king of kings. Okay, king of kings. And the second stanza will ask the question, why does he lie in such mean estate where ox and donkeys are feeding? If he's a king of kings, why does he lie in such mean estate where ox and donkeys are feeding? I was expecting him to be in the, in the, in the palace, but he's among ox and donkeys. And then the, and the songwriter says, good Christians fear. For sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Nails pierce will, shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me and for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come peasant king to hear him, to behold him. You see, I like Songs which ask you questions. Ask questions. So how many songs actually ask questions like that? Cause you to think. <laughs> you see. A sense of genuine repentance is therefore to constantly realign our thinking to the way God thinks. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Let's see. In another translation. It says in the NIV translation. In your relationship with one another have this way of thinking. In what context should I have? 
in my relationships with one another i have to have let's leave, look at the context let's leave, let's look at verses 3 and 4 okay do nothing in selfish ambition or weird conceit we'll look at 3 4 and come back to 5 okay uh, do not uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or weird conceit rather in humility consider others significant about yourselves uh, some translations will say consider others better than you no look at this what you know what what does it mean consider others better than you for example let's say i am very good at mathematics and somebody else is not very good at mathematics should i consider that fellow is better than me no 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 that's not what he's talking he's saying consider others more significant than you that's what it means in your relationships with others have this mindset that christ has do nothing out of selfish ambition or or vain conceit rather in humility consider others better than yourselves or value others or consider others significant than yourselves not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships therefore let this mindset be in you have this mind in your relationships so let me tell you christ life is all about what relationships love the lord your god with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your mind love your neighbor as yourself this is the essence of life it is about relationships okay timothy keller now i'm in the timothy keller mode these days i was john piper mode now i'm in timothy keller mode and i'll god knows what mode very soon i'm in the timothy keller cs lewis mode okay <laughs> he 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 said something about covenant I've never heard anything like that about covenant before any time in my life. What is the difference between a covenant and a contract? Look at what he says. Okay, now before I go there, the kind of thoughts that God had towards us have the same kind of thoughts toward others. Okay? And what does the kind of thoughts that God have toward us? Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 will say, "For I know that the thoughts that I think toward you," says the Lord, "thoughts of peace, not of evil to give you an expected and other translations a hope and a future and a desired end that is the kind of thoughts that i have so the kind of thoughts god has toward me let me have the same kind of thoughts towards the other okay and then um who in being in the form of god did not consider robbery to be equal with god this is chapter 5 this is the first attitude other translations look at what it says who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage another translation who though he was in the form of god did not count equality to god a thing to be grasped what is the first attitude with which jesus came he held to his rights very loosely in that context let me tell you what timothy keller will say about covenants and contract look at what he says covenant contract two people look at each other and say i will be what i should be as long as and to the degree as you are what you should be and if you are not i'm out now think about it now how many of us respond like that in every relationship that's a contract what is a covenant what is a covenant you look at what it says because the way god relates to his church is a covenantal relationship look at what he says two people this is a covenant two people look at each other and say i will be what i should be whether you are being what you should be or not 
Ah. And you know, that is the reason why it's scary to be in a covenant. Very scary. Why? A relationship will succeed only if both the parties are doing this. If one of the party is not doing it and the other party is doing it, it will be abuse, manipulation, etc., etc., etc. You see, a lot of people, they say, this is my right. All hold on to their rights. I will be what I should be as long as you are. Uh, why did you behave like this? Look at you. How you behave. That's the response most of the time. Isn't it? And then he says, what is the covenant? You are more important than me. The relationship is more important than my needs. I give you my independence and a part of my freedom as a gift of love. Boy. I give you my independence and a part of my freedom as a gift of love. I could well hold on to my rights. I could fight for it, but I will not. And that is the reason why it's difficult. Difficult, very difficult. It Peter will say to his wives, wives, submit to your own husbands and win him without a word. Wow, that's difficult. When you have, and when that, particularly when that guy is a dum-dum. You know it very well, like Nabal. That's what Abigail tells David. Nabal is his name. That is how his game. Fool he is. But did he, she, did she ever dishonor him? No, no, no. Never took a Bible study to Nabal. No. She waited for God to kill him, in other words. <laughs> it's interesting. See, you tell me something. In our relationship with each other, let this bind be in us. But how is God's relationship with us? Do we abuse him? Yes, we do. You know, there's a very interesting verse in First Timothy. He says, If we are unfaithful, he still remains faithful. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. You know what he's saying? You can use me, but I still love you. You can abuse me, I'll still love you. Because I'm not going to hold on to my rights to judge you. Look at what Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 1 will say. In the context of a marriage. Look at it, it's remarkable. They say, If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? No way. (laughs) No way. No way. Would not that that land be greatly polluted? Absolutely. But you know what God says? But you have played the harlots with many lovers, not one lovers. Please return to me. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I have every right to give you, to spank the daylights out of you. That's exactly what he tells Hosea. Hosea, take this lady. She's going to play the harlot. But not with one lover. She will actually sell herself. What you're supposed to do is go, go and bring her, not just bring her back, buy her back. You know what the scripture says? Hosea goes and there's a bid, literally, for Gomer. And scripture says, that he emptied his pockets completely to buy her back. 
That's exactly what God did for each one of us. He emptied himself completely to buy us. We abused him. We played the harlot with many lovers. It's intensely graphic. Children are there, so I can't use that word, but intensely graphic, intimate imagery. <laughs> You know what it, the actually original translation, you have spread your legs at many lovers. That's what it means, the original translation. It's graphic. But you know what? Please come back to me. So, you know, how many of us really hold on to our rights in a relationship? This is my right as a husband. Thou shalt honor me and be submissive to me. How many of you say, as husbands say like that to our wives? How many wives will say, it is my right as a wife. Thou shall honor me as a weaker vessel. We'll use Both of them will use the word honor. That is my right. How many of us are really willing to hold on to our rights loosely? What kind of a right did he have? He had a right to be God. Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 11. You know? Uh, so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into your sheath. Shall not I drink the cup which the Father has given me? Another translation, Matthew chapter 26, I mean another Gospel. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its place for all that who take the sword uh, will perish by the sword. Or do you think... That I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me 12 legions of angels. That is my right. That is my right. I'll just call somebody right now. They're they're gone. That's exactly how Satan tempts. If you are the son of God, it is your right to change stones into bread. Sorry. I'm not going to use that for it. Jump away from, from the building. It is your right. He will give you angels to protect you. I'm not going to use that. You know, the moment somebody comes and says, who do you think? What do you say? Who do you think? I am. You know, we use the word I am. Ego ami in the Greek. Who do you think I am? That's exactly what happens, right? Uh, when you go on the streets and the police fellow catches you. It's typical in Hyderabad, those days. Now, nowadays it's more, diff- more difficult because that guy don't, doesn't even talk. He will just take the picture and send you a chalan home. Or those days when we used to drive on the Chetak without a license and the police used to catch it. Malam hai? Meko onu malam hai? Tereko? Malam hai? Who do you think? I am. You know what Jesus also said? Who do you th- he also said I am. I'll show you what happened when he said I am. In the same gospel according to John's gospel chapter 18. Whom are you seeking? They said Jesus of Nazareth. You know what he said? Jesus said, I am. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with them and now when he said, I am, they drew back. Boom! They fell to the ground. You know what happened at that very instant? An instant through the crevices of his flesh, God showed them his glory. He go, Ami. I. Boom, gone. And they're all like, 
disoriented completely and they put their helmets like you see that movie uh, uh, passion for the of christ right they all this and they, they get the helmets and they get the shoes and they they come like that and then and then they say who, who are you seeking who are you seeking jesus of nazareth and you know this time what he says i have told you i am if you seek me let these fellows go catch me that is how God uses his power and authority to protect and not to harm. How do we as husbands and elders in the church and as ministry leaders or what have you, how do we use our authority and power? I remember when I was in university and the first year when I was, my my students took me for a ride. I was so upset with them. I said, you know what? I'll be really interested Okay, you're going to, you're just uh, fooling around in the class, right? Lab exam is coming. I will personally take your viva. Your viva will be taken by me. And you wouldn't believe it when I went to the lab. That guy was there. I just went to his uh, desk like that. That fellow was shivering like this. I mean, these are one of the, some of the brightest students in the, in the country, okay? The guy is shivering like this and he was looking at me. At that moment, I got convicted. I said, take it easy, okay? Just do your experiment. Let's finish it and I'll come back, come back to you. We are all like that. Who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And Jesus said, who do you think I am? And they all fell to the ground. But you know what he did? He held on to his rights very loosely. Do you hold on to your rights loosely? You see, when you hold on to your rights loosely, you'll always be willing to lay down your life for others. You will not be looking for rights. Look at what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling. I, I hate that word. I really hate it. Because I never want to be one. He who is not a shepherd. One who does not own the sheep. Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catches them and the sheep scatters them. He is only looking for his own interest. He is looking for his right. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But I, I am the good shepherd. What does he do? Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life. That I might take it again. But how is he going to take it again? I am going to lay down first. The way upwards is always downwards, my dear brothers and sisters, in Christianity. No one takes it from me, but I lay down myself. Myself, it is my right to hold on to it, but I will lay it down myself. You know what, when you have that kind of an attitude, if you have that kind of an attitude, everything that you receive, you will consider it as a gift. Okay, for example, Sister Elsa always keeps teaching the children, when I give Hepsiba a gift, what are you supposed to say? At least, thank you. Gratitude. You know, when you consider that you don't deserve anything and you don't hold on to your rights, whatever you get, you will consider it as a gift and you will always be what? Grateful. Thank. That's, that's, the, that's the title of last Sunday's message. Otherwise, if you think that you deserve it, like most software professionals, it's like this, no? Behold what manner of love the Lord has showered upon us that we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. That we should be called the children of God. It's a very interesting uh, interesting play of words. You know? For example, if I say, um, Peter, where do you work? He says, I work for Microsoft. I say, you work for Microsoft? I means that's good. 
If I say, you work for Microsoft? Same. You see? And that's exactly what, what Paul is saying. I mean, John is saying in 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. He says, behold, what manner of love the Lord has showered upon us that we should be called the children of God. It's a gift. So you're forever grateful. But if you're a hireling, you look for wages. How many of you, software professionals working for Uber, IBM, etc. End of the month, 31st, the last working day of the month, not even 31st, okay? The last working day, because I knew, last working day of the month, you get your salary, and you look at your paycheck, and you say, Behold! What manner of love IBM assured? Nobody will say that. Do you write a gift, a thank you letter to your boss? Thank you! <laughs> you will never. You will never say that. You will never say that. I deserve. If you worked overtime, this fellow didn't even give me overtime. I'm going to fight! See, sons never look for overtime. They hold on to their rights very loosely. You know, there's a difference between a son and a hireling. You know, son consider, knows the father's heart and he is willing to work for the father for free. Knowing that the father is just one day will give his reward. But right now, even if he does not give, the very fact, behold, what manner of love the father has showered upon us. Think about it, saints. How many of us have a hireling wager attitude? That is the reason why Romans chapter 4 will say to the one who works, his wages are not counted according to grace, but according to his due, but to the one who does not work, but trusts in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited to, in, into his account as righteousness. Behold, what manner of love. Nobody says that. Hmm. See, if you have an attitude, when you hold on to your rights very loosely, your life will be full of gratitude, full of thanksgiving, praise and worship. I cannot imagine, brothers and sisters, I cannot imagine how we have to be persuaded to worship. Lift up your hands, raise your heart, raise your... Hurry, come on. Come on. Paul, Peter tells his, his people, he says, you know, whom you have not seen, you still love. You do not now see him, but you are filled with inexpressible joy, which is full of glory. Full of glory. Hirelings are always sad because they did not get what they deserve. That is the reason why I like that answer. No, John Piper gives, said, how, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. <laughs> how much are you earning? Better than I deserve. I mean, the most, most, in, I mean, you have absolute freedom, no? More than I deserve, I'm getting, Baba. What can you, what can you say to a man like that? Will he fight? Will he, will he, will he fight? Will he go on a hartal? In Kalab Zindabad? Kon karega, hum karega. Some of you, I used to listen to that all the time. Okay. Then the second thing about it. He made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of him. He made himself of no reputation. Other translation will say, rather he made himself nothing. 
boy. <laughs> Another translation, he emptied himself. I love that. Think about it, okay? Think about it. If you know mathematics, if you take 1000 out of infinity, how much is left? Infinity. Take 10 million out of infinity, how much is left? Infinity. Take 25 trillion out of infinity, how much is left? How can an infinite God empty himself? I don't understand that. Mathematical anomaly for me. Boy, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Emptying yourself? When you have infinite, how can you empty infinity? (laughs) Think about it, saints. Some of you are scratching your head. I have pity on you. Come to my math class, I'll tell you. That's amazing. That's amazing. But he emptied himself. It's like emptying your bank account. But when God to empty himself, that's something. What is he talking about? C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. I told you I'm in a C.S. Lewis mode these days. So please bear with me. Okay. He gives a definition of what humility is. C.S. Lewis, there's a chapter, title of the chapter, The Greatest Sin. Okay. C.S. Lewis on humility. Humility is not thinking more of yourself. That is high self-esteem. Okay. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. That is low self-esteem. Okay. Humility is no self-esteem, whether high or low. I mean, when people come and say he has got a self-esteem problem, I say, Baba, proud man. He has got a very low self-esteem. Proud man! And the, the problem is that people with low self-esteem are actually more dangerous than people with higher self-esteem sometimes. Look at what he says. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Wow. Chew that. As art cats would say, put that in your spiritual pipes and smoke it. Contemplate. Think. I read a book by Timothy Keller recently. It's about a 60 page book. Very small book. 60 page book. It's it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. That's the title of the book. And he takes a very interesting definition of pride from the Bible. Pride has got several Greek words in the Bible, but there's one place where Paul uses a very interesting analogy for pride. Pride, he says, is being puffed up. No, he says, so, uh, so Timothy says, imagine in your body that you have one part of your body puffed up. Okay, you got it? So, so, so doctor is here. <laughs> he's, in a, in a, he's an emergency doctor. So one guy, he comes to his your emergency ward with a puffed up leg. Bloated. Okay. So whenever you have puffed up, that means there are four things that are happening. Four realities. So something is puffed up because four things are there. First of all, it is empty. What is there? Gas. Absolutely empty. Now think about it now. Wherever 
says, it says in Ecclesia, it says, God has placed what in our hearts? Ah, 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 ah. Say that, say that. Eternity in our hearts. So mathematically, he placed what? Infinity in our hearts. So who can fill that eternity? An eternal God can fill. Anything other than that, if it is we, for example, in that place, small, not even small, infinitesimally small, when compared to the infinite God, actually there is nothing if there is you there. Remedy. It's puffed up. Second thing he says, it's painful. You always get hurt. Something is puffed up meaning, you, like uh, Emmanuel is there. You know, she gets hurt, something gets swollen. During giving her a shower, she will create havoc. <laughs> please don't touch that. Please, please. <laughs> please, it's, 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 it's swollen, it's swollen. Please. It hurts. Okay, that's exactly what happens with people who are puffed up. You hurt my feelings. Oh, you hurt me. You hurt. If I joke, you get you get hurt. So how should you walk with puffed up people on eggshells like this? We have to think 250 times before we make a statement. Puffed up. You're always hurt. Think about it. Now, how many of you are always hurt? I always keep judging myself when I, whenever I go to pastor, no, these days, he's very tough with me sometimes. Oh, not all, not sometimes, all the time, actually. So, so, so whenever I enter into the office, it's like this, I just enter into the office and I hold the gate and I said, Lord, cross in my mind, Lord, cross, cross, cross in my mind. The goodness and the severity of God. Goodness and, and just, I open the gate and I go inside with that attitude. A cross in my mind, in my heart. You know what? No hurt. No hurt. I am able to look at criticism in a constructive way because I know it hurts, but I know there is gas. That is vain glory. How you do you take criticism? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, brothers and sisters. That's like <laughs> friends, brothers, countrymen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you've seen Shakespeare's uh, Julius Caesar, painful, always hurt. Third thing, he says, they're busy. Why are they busy? What are they busy? Comparing with others, particularly to find fault. Why? Because they know that they have not, they have low self-esteem, so they look at others and they say, you know what, that is but they f- they find fault so that they can l- they can feel good about themselves. Ah, I'm not like that brother. Oh, thank you Jesus. Thank you Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Busy. 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 Comparing themselves with others. And the fourth thing, this is what I added. They're insecure because they're always in a sense of competition. Always. They're never satisfied. Look at what uh, C.S. Lewis has to say about proud people. With high self-esteem people on the other hand. Look at what he says. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Only out of having more than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking. But they are not. 
They are proud of being richer, cleverer, better looking than others. If everyone else become equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Wow. You know, this is exactly the attitude to find in class. One fellow wants to be the top megapan. Okay. He has to get hundred. But in order to get hundred, everybody, he, he is not satisfied with hundred. He'll look at his mark. How much did he get? He got hundred. I've seen it in universities. I mean, especially when they come in first year, first semester. No, they're all fired up people. No, they're always, Hava kya hai? Hava. All India rank. Air. 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 A-I-R. Tera hava kya hai? Hava. This gas. All India rank. Okay. Okay. So this, what is your all India rank? Oh. 500. 500. 350. Big deal. All hawa hawa. See, they're never satisfied. They're always comparing themselves and they, they want to be numero you know. They always played the, play the game, you know. The card game. That's exactly what Satan, that's the attitude of Satan. I, I, I will ascend, I will do this. But you know what God says? All of you should be with me on my throne. What a difference. And he tells that to the church which is the most compromised called the Laodicean church. If you overcome just as I overcame and sat in my father's throne, you will also overcome and sit with me on my throne. What's the difference? Hmm. So how do we ought to think therefore? How do we, how do we have the thought of Christ? And, 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 and Paul gives a very interesting answer in Romans chapter 12 verse 3. This is what he says. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with each one a measure of Faith. What does it mean? It means there is some attitude which I need to carry when I am in a church. It's, it's quite possible. See, how many of you have never had a sense of competition and jealousy? Tell me. How many of you saints who are about to be raptured? Let me see. None of you. Thank you. So neither am I. <laughs> you see, how do, how am I supposed to deal with this therefore? How am I supposed to deal with this? Now what he says, how do I, how do I apply this, this, this verse to my life? One thing that he, that I always need to tell myself all the time is God is sovereign. What does it mean? Some people he will give five gifts. Some people will give two gifts. Some people will give one gift. The problem with the fellow who has got one gift, he's angry with God who has given him only one gift. That's the problem. He's absolutely, that's, that's what uh, Eric told me, you know, he was discussing whenever we are in the train or in the bus or in the car, we have intense theological discussions. And he was, he, this was very interesting. He said, Pastor, you know why the guy with the one talent, he hid his talent, you know why? Because he is angry with God, because he has given him only one talent. He said, oh, take it and go, take it, take it, your talent, take it, I don't want. I don't want. That's what, that's what parents, uh, children will say, no? how much did you get? I got only four. How much did you get? Ten. Take it, take it, take mine. Take mine. Go. Go. 
That's that's how God is. You know God. You know how God is. It's it's like this. No. Um, if I if uh, somebody comes to me, uh, I go to Bible. I told I go to Bible study, and some person comes from Dubai, and he gives me a box of chocolates, and he says, Vijay, uh, this is like twenty chocolates here. Uh, go and distribute it equally among your children. Means twenty chocolates means ten for Abigail, ten for Emmanuel. So if I come home, twenty, ten for you, ten for her. Place closed. But on the other hand, if I tell Abigail, take all the chocolates. Okay? Share it with your sister. Total different bargain. That's exactly what Jesus does. God does. He gives everything to whom? Jesus. He took captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Some he gave this, some he gave that, some he gave this. According to the grace. God is sovereign, saints. Some people he gives many talents. Some people he gives few talents. But he will always give at least one talent. That is for sure. So, God is not looking at what we don't have. God is looking at what we have and what we are doing with what we have. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, therefore he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. Each one of us. Therefore, one of the things that I always keep telling myself, God is sovereign, Lord. You are sovereign. I want to be this, Lord. You know, this is a prayer these days I have, Lord. I want to read C.S. Lewis. One shot, I have to get everything in my mind. Please. Because I have to read and read and read. Sometimes I get lost. God, give me this supernatural brain. So, the moment I finish reading the book, I should be able to analyze, give a critique on it. And very interestingly, God spoke to my heart and he said, why? Why? So that you want to be look intellectual? That they, that they should tell you, that they should say that you are the C.S. Lewis of Hyderabad? I don't know. What is? Why? 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 Not saying that you should not work hard. That's not the point. You should not work hard to look better. No. 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 Do the best with the gift that God has given you to serve others. You see, if you have that attitude, you'll always be building up people. You see, that's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. So that you should not get the glory. Obviously it's coming. Okay, I don't want to read it between the lines. It's coming. Whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. If you have this attitude all the time, ask for the saints. Ask for this. You know what happens when you have this? You will take the gift that God has given you and you will work on it and work on it and work on it and that one gift will be a blessing to many, many people. One gift. And God will call you to account only for that one gift. Are you faithful in that one gift or not? Why? That's the final final point. We will be judged according to what has been given, what we have been given and not according to what we have been not given. You see? Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 12, that's what he was praying in the final prayer. For if we have a willingness or readiness, it is acceptable according to what a person has and not what according to the person does not have. But all he is looking for is a willing mind. 
Then, second thing, the third thing about the incarnation. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. Another translation. By taking the form of a servant, being born. That's very interesting. It's coming is different. He was born. The infinite God becomes a zygote. That's crazy. An infinite God becomes infinitesimal. In other words, he was born. He was conceived of a virgin. What does it tell me? A couple of days back, we had a discussion with some friends of ours from another church. And, and you know, whenever I go, I just love to speak about my church and my pastor. Okay. In my every sentence, it will be my pastor, my pastor, my church, my church. Okay. Because every time I go, I always have this in my mind. I'm representing, I'm representing God, I'm representing my church all the, all the time. And I was talking about, you know, the orphanages that we have and the LHL, the ministry, etc. And then she made a very interesting point. She said, you know what? I believe the people in the church have forgotten this now. Forgotten about, about, about reaching out to the, to the underprivileged in society. I think people have forgotten that. Because James says, pure and undefiled religion before God is this, that you should visit the orphans and the widows in their, in their misery and you should keep yourself unspotted from the world. Even as we were discussing, I was telling them, I said, you know what, there's one thing a lot of people do, they support. That's what I used to tell Eric. Eric, you go into full-time ministry, I'll support. That's what I told him. I'll support you. You know why? Because I don't want to get into it. Get my hands dirty. Face the brunt. Face the music. Get heartache. I don't want it. I'll support. And I was telling them, I said, you know what? One of the things that we all do is you want to get our hands dirty. There's a, there's a seed difference in supporting a ministry and being a part of one. Absolutely. Heaven and earth. You know, that's exactly what God did. You know, pastor keeps telling me, Vijay says, Vijay, when you look at a class, put yourself in everyone's shoes. It's very difficult for me to do. Put yourself in everybody's shoes and a teacher or a preacher or the word of God should consider the one who is the weakest first. He should be willing to come down to the level of the weakest. And therefore, that's exactly what God, what God is doing. He's not like this transcendent being who is on the outside. He's willing to come and be a part of us. And to face the music, so to speak, along with us. Look at what Hebrews chapter 2 will say. Therefore, he had to be. Oh, I love that. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If I'm Albert Einstein, I will never be able to relate to Paramananda Sishiro. Never. One, only one fellow got it. If I'm, if I'm the, see, you know, when you walk with the brilliant student, they have an aura. <laughs> I've seen that, no? And most of the time they have spectacles also. So I wanted to look studious and nerdy all the time, so I used to go, I wanted to have spectacles in my life. I don't, thank God I didn't get one. 
I, my da- my uncle was in, uh, uh, he was an optometrist in Sarojini Devi Hospital. Every time I used to go there and I used to fool him. Do you see that? No, 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 I don't see it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Why? Because I wanted to look nerdy. Ah, hey, Kanara, no, no. He used to go to the computer analysis. Vijay, six by six. Oh no. But now I thank God I don't have spectacles. Uh, okay, because I see my wife, who's Charkandol. Soda buddy also. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that. They have the aura, you know, they have aura. They they, they speak with with condescending tone. God is not like that. That is the reason why the songwriters are crazy, they're amazed. Why does he lie in such mean estate where ox and donkeys are feeding? What is this? What is that? King of kings, the creator of the universe, what are you talking about? He's with Ox and donkeys? Oh, come on. This is not God. But he had to be that. Like Pastor said, keeps telling us, you know, he had to be that so that he could, he could, he could relate to the least and the poorest and the down, and the, he comes to the least common, I mean, multiple or device or what do you want to call it, HCF, LCM. Least. So that he can relate to everybody. So how can you relate to a king if you are a pauper? No way. That's what he says to the. Do, do you know? Do you know those people who are having uh, beautiful clothes? Where did, where did you? What did you go to see in the wilderness? What did you go to see? A man clothed in the wilderness. You went to see some, somebody, right? A man clothed in rich apparel. No, 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 no. Uh, people who are clothed in rich apparel are sitting in in palaces and they're eating sumptuously. But what did you go out to see? A reed broken. John the Baptist? What did you see? What did you see? You know, that is what God does. He comes and becomes a part of us. Rakhmanan gives us fantastic uh, illustration. He says, you know, just imagine a guy who's born in an extremely rich neighborhood. It's like, if you enter into that, you'll be afraid of walking because it's so neat. You don't want to make the path dirty. Uh, like... <laughs> I remember when, when Pastor James was, uh, we were in a part of the Abbott's church, we used to clean the washrooms. And you know, he said, Vijay, don't make the washroom so clean that people will be afraid going inside. <laughs> you know, so you go inside, Are, it's so neat, I don't want to go. You know what God did? He was in absolute pure universe. No pollution, no sin, no kampu, nothing. Yeah, there's nothing, no smell. Because people tell them when they reach India, the moment they will land in India, they smell. It smells. I mean, it's exactly, a guy who's coming from the United States, he lands in India. That's exactly what it is. The analogy is, God lands in India. How should he walk? Don't touch, don't touch. Don't, don't, don't. He, he's like antiseptic. Don't touch. We don't have an antiseptic God. He's a, we have a God who's absolutely septic. Willing to become septic. That's exactly what happened to him on the cross. He bore my infirmity. My sin, my sickness. Ah. 
That's crazy. He's willing to 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 be a part of us who's, who are absolutely ungrateful. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Praise God for that. Praise God. Look, John's Gospel chapter 17 verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into a world, but they shall not be antiseptic. No, 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 no. And for their sake, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified by me. Be a part. That's what he says. You are in the world, but not of the world. You're going to, what the world will face, you will face. In fact, if you're a Christian, you'll possibly face double. Double. The intensity of your suffering would be possibly on the higher side. That is the reason why look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became, when he became of age, I like that word, becoming of age. He came of age. A lot of people are still in the church, not of age, still children. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked for a reward. He said, you know what, I'm going to be a part of God's people. I want to be a part of their suffering. I don't want to enjoy this world for a passing time. I want to be with them, with God's people, suffering for them. I want to become them. So what is our response? <laughs> what is our response today? Oh, pastor was talking to uh, the pastors on Monday. And he said, you know what, if you are a Christian, one of the things God will do is constantly take you through heartbreak, pain, betrayal, suffering. Why? So that you will understand what he went through. That's exactly what, what happened to, to, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, Jeremiah, you will not have a wife. Please, no, no. You'll be a eunuch all your life for me. You'll, you'll be a symbol for God's people. You are suffering. Elijah, you will speak, you will speak to the people that there will be no, no rain on this earth for, until you pray, but that famine is going to affect you. Are you, are you willing to go through that suffering? You're not going to be immune to the suffering of God's people. You will be a part of the suffering of God's people. Are you willing? Ezekiel, the delight of your eyes. <laughs> That's God's uh, testimony about his marriage. How many of us can, how many of us will God come and say to our, to our husbands, your wife is the delight of your eyes? Oh boy. Wait. <laughs> and then he says, the delight of your eyes? I'm gonna kill her tomorrow. But tomorrow you're not gonna go to the pulpit, you'll not mourn. You'll not mourn. You will stand there and preach to God's people. Hosea, Hosea, you will take a prostitute for your, as, as your wife, who will betray you. But you'll sell everything that you got and you purchase. And when people ask you, you will say, you know what? You're asking me this question, right? Why I did that? I will ask you a question. Why you did this to God? But you will be a part of that suffering. Are you willing? Are you willing? 
That is the reason why Hebrews chapter 13 will say, Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people by his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. I remember um, way back, you know, whenever Pastor James introduces a new author, I go there and read him up. So one of the authors that he introduced was Richard Wimbrand. How many of you remember Richard Wimbrand? Introduction to Richard Wimbrand in, in class GTLC. GTC, not GTLC, sorry. GTC. Started reading. I started reading and there was a very interesting thing about... He was 14 years in a prison. Okay? And he wrote, during prison, he was he wrote a book called uh, Sermons from Prison. He wrote about 315 sermons. By hearted all... He didn't have a Bible. He memorized all his sermons and after he came out of prison, he wrote a book called Messages from Prison. <clears throat> and then... He was in prison and when, when he was when he was going through a tough time, he was asking God, Lord, what is this suffering God? What is this? What did I do? 14 years in prison. There was this guy in uh, in uh, Canada in a prison. He was convicted for uh, for stealing, and he was in prison for about seven or eight. I mean, for about ten years, I think. And he was he was in prison, and one day he was in a vision, and somebody came and preached to him a message in the vision. After that, he got converted. He got converted when he heard the message in the vision. He got converted. And because of good behavior, they released him from prison earlier. And then he went and joined a local church and he started ministering as an elder. Now, during his time as an elder, he was walking along uh, along the street in Canada and he found a Christian bookstore. He went inside and then even as he was looking up on the on the shelf, he, he found a book called Messages from Prison by Richard Wimbran. He took that book out and he opened one of the pages and he found the exact message that was preached to him when he was in prison. And he, Richard Wilman came to know about the testimony. You know what he said? You know what? I was in the prison going through that suffering so that I could preach to another guy 7,000 miles apart so that he could hear the voice of God through my suffering. Amazing. If you look at Richard Wimbrand, you have to believe him. That is the reason why a lot of people, they cannot build a church because they want to be supporters, not a part. Ezra, chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. Then the heads of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all those whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Okay, that is verse 5. All those people whose spirits were moved by God, they went and bought, build the house. And all those who were around, what did they do? They encouraged and supported. I'll give you money. Please go and build. I'm supporting your ministry. But I don't want to be a common part of I don't want to leave this Babylon and this pleasure and this comfort. And I'm absolutely happy here, Baba. Money I can earn so much and I can give it to you also. That is the will of God. I remember Richard, uh, Timothy Keller telling a story of this lady who was a Wall Street employee and she used to be very rich, extremely uh, wealthy and she was extremely successful in her work. And after the depression, the 2008 uh, bubble burst, she lost her job. And she used to be one of the rich, I mean, huge contributors for the church. And after she lost the job, she was she had to completely change her lifestyle. And then she came and told the pastor, when I was working in Wall Street, I had a lot of money to give. 
I am now off Wall Street and I have a lot of time to give. I am a giver. You know what? It doesn't, it's, 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 God is not saying that you should stop working. No, 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 no. Do you have your heart in the church? Are you a part of it? And are you, is your focus to build the church and you want to be a part of God's people? Just like Jesus. You're not outside. You're a part of it building the church. Finally, Philippians chapter 2. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. How did he become obedient? Hebrews will tell us. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 7 to 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. And verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. Let me show you. I wrote these two things down. All obedience has sacrifice. But all sacrifice need not have obedience. All obedience has sacrifice. But all sacrifice need not have obedience. God is pleased with obedience. Which may have sacrifice. But not sacrifice alone. Without obedience. Got that? It's very difficult. Very, very difficult. We rather have sacrifice than obedience. Look at what it says in second first Samuel chapter 15 was actually first Samuel, please. Sorry. First Samuel chapter 15 was 22. So Samuel said, Has the God, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. You see, there were two brothers who sacrificed. But one had obedience and the other did not have. That's the reason why it says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, By faith Abel offered a sacrifice. Better than Cain. Did he not have sacrifice? Yes, Cain had sacrifice. He worked hard. Possibly harder than Abel. But Abel's sacrifice had obedience. But not Cain's sacrifice. We would rather have obedience, I mean sacrifice than obedience because we know that obedience is going to cost us our convenience. I'll tell you what it means. There's a guy who comes to the altar and he says, Lord, take my sacrifice, my offering, my offering, my offering. God will say, I don't want your offering. Why? Go and reconcile yourself to your brother first. Ah, no Lord. I will give 10% more. I would rather give 20%, 20%, 20%. 30%. Puri. Last. You know what God says? No, 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 no. Leave your offering there, please. Leave. Yeah, leave. Go back to your brother. Get reconciled. That is difficult. That is obedience. And then another guy comes and says, Lord, my tears are you. Don't you see my tears and my sacrifice? Not acceptable. Why? <laughs> I saw you how the way you behave with your, with your wife. Not good, not good. Violence. Your garments. Full of violence. And you're having tears and tears and tears. Go back. Reconcile yourself to your wife. 
and then come back. Lord, bargain again, no? Sacrifice or obedience? Hebrews chapter 8, 11 verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Was there sacrifice? Yes, there was sacrifice. He was in the earth of the Chaldeans, the richest place. I mean, he was, he was not, he was not a, not a, he was not a poor man. He was a rich, successful man, but he obeyed. Genesis 22, and he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear the Lord since you have not withheld your, withheld your son, your only son for me. Was there sacrifice? Yes. But why was that sacrifice accepted? Look at what it says in verse 18. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will bless you, etc. And verse 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed. You see. That is the reason why in the last days, what will people say? Lord, Lord. Have you not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? Done many wonders in your name? Lot of sacrifice. Now what will God will say? I don't know you. I don't know you. You workers of lawlessness, disobedient people. And that is what incarnation teaches me, brothers and sisters. And what was that death? The death on the cross. Finally, therefore, God has also highly exalted him. Given him a name above every other name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. For us, it's the same path of obedience. First Peter chapter 5. Likewise, you younger people, Submit your elders. Yes. You be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. I love that word. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself under the mighty arm of God. So that what? He will exalt you in due time. Casting all your care. Because he cares for you. That is what happens when God becomes man. He teaches us. How many of us want to be obedient to God this evening? I don't know. Just, just, just check, check your heart this evening. And in the light of what has been spoken to our hearts, ask God, Lord, I have so much of sacrifice, but very little obedience. I pray, Father, that you would grant us grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, for coming and teaching us humility. teaching us to repent. Unless you grant us the gift of repentance, we do not have the ability in ourselves to repent because we are proud, proud, conceited, vain, glorious people. We would rather have sacrifice than have obedience. But You said, Lord, repent of your dead works. All your righteous acts without obedience, is filthy racks before me. I pray, Lord, that you would deliver us from that spirit of conceit and vainglory. 
And that in our relationship with one another, we'll have the same attitude like your son had. Grant us grace and a blessing to that end that we will become the kind of people that you want us to be in our relationships. Husbands with wives, wives with husbands, children with parents, parents with children, employees with employers, employers with employees, servants with masters, masters with servants, members of the congregation with the elders and elders with the members of the congregation. In every aspect of our life, teach us to be your son and enable us to imitate the incarnation in our lives. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.